Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wilde, TV host by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night, and a health and a life coach always. From hashtag to movement, we believe that loving all sides of you is what's healthy, and healthy is hot. Come hang out as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part, how health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely gonna be some laughing. And hopefully you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life, to live your healthiest hot life. Brought to you by Clarence. Hot audience, I hope you're excited because we have a very intelligent, intelligent individual with us today. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. And since the early 80s, she's researched the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was actually one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change, aka neuroplasticity, with directed mind input. And through her work, she's helped hundreds of thousands of students and adults learn how to use their mind to detox and grow their brain to succeed in every area of their lives, including school, university, and the workplace. You are probably the most like on paper intelligent person I've ever met. Like, I don't think we've ever had someone that has as much education background as you. And truthfully, I studied neuroscience like way back in the day. And I remember when we were taught about neuroplasticity and how the brain can change itself. And I thought that was the most fascinating thing I'd ever, ever learned. So Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Chloe. It's lovely to be with you. And I'm laughing to myself, as you're saying, you studied about neuroplasticity. When I was at university, they told us the brain couldn't change. So that shows you that like dates me here. But back in the 80s, the growing philosophy was that the brain couldn't change. And we were sitting in one of our neurology lectures and neuroscience was very different at that stage. And they were saying, so teach your patients to compensate because once the brain's damaged, that's it. There's nothing you can do. And I remember thinking, you know, something's wrong here because every day we're different. Every experience is different. We grow. We grow from the good and the bad. And I put up my hand and I said, you know, Professor, blah, 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 I don't really agree with this um, very nicely. And I said that we must be able to change. And he actually said, that's a ridiculous question. I've done a TED talk on this, the ridiculous question of neuroplasticity. And he said, okay, well, you know what, go research it. So I did. And I said, well, what field should I start in? And what do you recommend? He said, well, take something that we know is a waste of time, literally said that, which is the field of traumatic brain injury, because at that stage, there was hardly any research on it, because they didn't believe it was worth researching if your brain's damaged, that's it. I mean, this is, you know, we hear this now, and it sounds like, you know, from the dark ages, but seriously, this is only about 35 years ago, where they didn't think it was worth researching about traumatic brain injury. I mean, this is what they were telling me at one of the top, most prestigious universities in the world, and hospitals in the world. And so I did. I researched traumatic brain injury. I was one of the first in my field to show with CT scans, you didn't have MRI, and through behavioral changes and so on, that you could change. And from there, 38 years later, I'm still doing research. Don't practice clinically anymore. I did for 25 years, but I'm still now researching and helping people to understand mind management. And Thank mind goodness management. you raised your hand in that class you know, when you were in university and you challenged the status quo and thought to yourself, 
this can't be it. We have to be able to change because if neuroplasticity wasn't a thing, that's kind of a shitty prognosis for someone who has had trauma or has trouble with negative thinking or intrusive thoughts, because, you know, if plasticity is not a real thing, well, it's like, well, sorry, you're just going to have to deal with this for the rest of your life. But then you and your work and the other scientists and researchers that have done that work change the narrative. What was that like when your research and studies started to show that neuroplasticity is in fact happening and is in fact possible even for people who struggle with mental health problems who struggle with trauma well i'm so glad you asked that it's, it's really interesting because i had a range of responses and the responses range from you lucky when i showed my results to then some of the neurologists and scientists and doctors that i said look at this we, we've got a patient for example who's um like literally a veg- they used to used to write people off they'd say things like this person's a vegetable they can't progress further and they tell parents that and i worked with people that had been written off in that way and they the parents believed in them they got a support system they contacted me once a person was conscious and they ended up finishing school and getting degrees when they've been written off. So when I, I remember taking some of those cases back to the original doctors and saying, listen, I'm so excited. Look at the situation. And some of the neurologists said to me, you're lucky. There's no luck involved in that. There's pure hard work on the heart, on the, on the side. I saw what my patients did and how hard they worked to change their situation. And, you know, growing up in South Africa, in the apartheid system, in the transition with Mandela coming to power and in the post-apartheid era, you know, you've just been to South Africa for a month, so you you can see still the impact of mm-hmm. that of that time and that era in that in the country, although it's changed, there's still tremendous impact. And I was working for three days a week for 25 years in some of the worst areas hit by the townships where they had just written people off and, and terrible, terrible stuff. And I thought, this is where I'm going to go and really see. This is where trauma is really operational. This is where we've got societal trauma that's been created and, you know, this kind of thing. And I didn't have, I couldn't go ch- change their financial circumstances. I couldn't go and change, give them enough. I didn't have enough food to give them. What I could give them was the ability to understand their mind, their brain, how their brain can change. And I'd go to these schools with long drop toilets, which are holes in the ground. One textbook for 100 kids. Mm. And thousands of people would turn up, no microphone, but they would just sit there for hours and just listen about the mind and the brain and how you can learn and how to manage trauma and how to learn so you can get an education. It was one of the best times of my life. It was where I really saw the resilience of human nature, the ability, no matter what you've gone through, your story will always remain with you. But you can change what it looks like inside of you, neuroplasticity, which then means you can change it how it plays out in your life, what you say, what you do, how you feel, your perspective, how your body feels, all of that can change. So I'm very much, I mean, there's like, I've had so many situations thrown at me over the years in clinical practice and doing this. I just know I can sit here in front of you today and tell you and your audience that it's it's really is real. It's hard. The story never goes away, but we can are we are able through hard work change what what it looks like inside mm. of us. Every experience becomes a physical change in our brain and body and in our mind, and we can change that, which means it changes how it plays out in our life. So we can unpack that slowly, but that's just kind of an overarching view. I, I love that you started your work in an area where people are are really struggling so much with with poverty, with access to education, with access to healthcare. You were able to to reach people in such an intimate way, especially you know for twenty five years. You mentioned and how empowering 
it is as well for someone who's struggling um, to know that they actually have it within themselves to make changes if they have the resources, if they have um, access to the right ways to get out of that. And as well, they can see the change in the physical world, but it all starts internally and it starts with a lot of hard work. Um, I wish I'd probably like throw out some terms and maybe you can break them down before we dive in. I have a little bit of neuroscience in me from my, my degree at McGill, but I'm realizing not everybody might know what we're talking about when we use words like trauma, because trauma can mean a lot of things, uh, neuroplasticity. Uh, so I'm wondering if you can break down some of the, of the big terms that we'll be throwing out in our chat, just so everyone's starting on the same page. Sounds fantastic. Okay, that's great. So first, let's start with neuroplasticity. So neuro means brain, plastic means to change. So what we discovered in the um, mid, in sort of the late 80s, early 90s, and as I said, that was part of the work that I did, is that your brain is not a fixed organ. So here I've got a model of the brain. For those of you that are listening, I'm holding up a model brain in the skull. And your brain is not fixed. Every moment of every day, it's actually changing its structure because you're alive. If you're dead, obviously, that's not going to happen because you're not experiencing anything and your brain is disintegrating. So your mind is being changed all the time by something. And that something is your mind. So it's important to in, in understanding neuroplasticity, the, the, the fact that the brain can actually change as a result of experience. We need to also understand that the brain can't change itself. The brain, you know, you, you, if you take a brain and just take it out of someone's head, it won't do anything. It's just going to disintegrate. So, but it changes because you're alive. You and I are alive. The listeners and viewers are alive. We're listening, we're talking, we're communicating, we're connecting. All this that's happening is being grabbed by the mind, which is an external physical thing, but also internal. We have the mind around us and through us. So the mind is all around us and it's embodied in the brain and the body. And But the mind is this physical force, electromagnetic fields, gravitational fields, the biofield. And it basically is our ability to, on a psychological level, to think and feel and choose in response to the experiences of life and to take that and put that into the brain. So the mind, this energetic force of the mind meets the particle structure of the brain, the physical structure of the brain, in order to create an intimate relationship, that very intricate relationship between the mind and the brain, the energy and the physical matter, um, are basically, as it happens, it creates a change inside of the brain. And that change, all those changes, those changes are happening around about 8,000 of them a day. And for our whole life from when we were at about 22 weeks in the womb till the age when we die, we are taking every experience through our mind, the energy of our mind, and putting it into the brain and building it into the brain as physical changes made of proteins that look like trees. So this conversation is being grabbed by the energy fields of your mind, the psychology of your mind, or the currency of your mind is a better word, is your ability to think and feel and choose in response to what you're hearing in this conversation. And your so that whole combination of think, feel, choose energy goes in the brain and that causes the, the brain then responds on an electrochemical, neurochemical, and genetic level. And all that energy kind of collapses into the genetics and we make proteins. And those proteins then hold the vibrations of our words. And those proteins holding the vibrations of what you're hearing, those are memories. And the memories cluster together to form thoughts. So this is one thought that we're building now about mental health or mind, brain, or whatever you've called it, or your, your podcast being healthy, so mind, brain, health, whatever. Um, but the detail of what we're talking about is in all the branches. And wow. it's actually building your brain, obviously very small, not as big as this, but this is pr pretty much what you're building. Now, you have to have these in order to be able to live. 
to speak, to feel, to move. You need a thought. So every word, every action, every emotion, every perspective, everything you feel in your body is coming from a thought. And a thought is a bunch of memories. And they came from an experience processed by your mind. So it's quite a lot to think about experience, mind, brain, action. And so that's how we as humans function. And so neuroplasticity is this constant process of all the experiences we have, all 8,000 more or less on average a day, coming into our brain by our mind and changing our brain. That's the neuroplasticity. So we've defined mind-brain difference, mind being, being this energetic force, the currency of which is think, feel, choose. We've defined brain, which is easy, it's physical, like the body. And we've defined the product of mind interacting with brain, which is a thought. And a thought is made up of memories. So we've defined thoughts versus memories. And I've also defined, in a certain extent, um, we've defined another four things, and that is emotions, behaviors, physical symptoms, and bodily sensations, and perspective, which are the signals that these thoughts generate. So how you are showing up are actually signals of your functionality in life. And when our emotions are healthy, um, and constructive, and then our bodily reactions and our behaviors, etc. All four of these signals, which work together all the time, are in operating in a healthy way. Then we're showing up like this conversation. We're having a deep, creative conversation that's healthy. If we were having an argument, then it would be a toxic situation, and then that would look different. It would look like this. So here I've got a wiry tree all the way from South Africa. <sighs> Cape Town on the sides of the road you may recognize they're really good at making these kind of things so good I know and I've dragged this around the world that's why it's got things holding it together it's kind of broken I need a new base um, but this is a great representation of if we have a toxic experience then it's going to still change it's still processed by the mind into the brain still creates those, those physical changes but in this one all the little protein structures that make these branches are folded correctly and there's correct electrical chemical balance and it's all healthy. This one, the proteins are misfolded. And you might have heard a lot, there's a lot in the media, you would have learned about this, and there's a lot in the media and articles about misfolded proteins creating neurodegenerative diseases. Well, we see that these proteins in the brain that form these thoughts are made of proteins that are misfolded and that creates an imbalance of electrical chemical and neurochemical um, flow, basically. And that then this then becomes a problem in the brain and body and over time increases the vulnerability of the brain and the body to disease and et cetera, mind issues, mental health, et cetera, if you don't manage them. So the, well, the, we as humans have an, have an inbuilt resilience system and it's part of our non-conscious mind. And our non-conscious mind then goes to search for all of these. So the other term you asked me to define was trauma. Mm-hmm be trauma so trauma we we need to be trauma informed but we also got to be careful of how we use the word trauma so we need to look at trauma on a scale of one to ten this is the easiest way to explain trauma with one and two being maybe a bad post on social media or comment on social media or someone that made you feel you know like said something nasty for a moment then said sorry or you know something that's still an issue but it's minor the day-to-day struggles the things that happen an irritating email or whatever um, being late for something or something like that versus 8, 9, 10 on the scale, which would be suffering through the Ukrainian-Russian war, losing a loved one in COVID, the isolation of COVID, sexual trauma at any stage of your life, bullying, abuse. So the big stuff are down 8, 9, 10, and that's where we talk about, as you know, complex trauma, PTSD, 
but they're not things, they're descriptions. So when I say complex trauma or PTSD, I'm not defining a disease. I'm using words to describe where the mind is at. The, so the level of, the, of where the emotions are at, where the signal, the, the four signals, emotions, actions, bodily sensations and perspective. So that's quite a lot of definitions, but it's mind, brain, thoughts, memories, emotions, behaviors, and how to and perspective and bodily sensations and how it kind of all ties up together and then trauma. Yeah, I mean, hearing all that, it's, I mean, this is why you've gone to school for as long as you have, you can just throw that out, like it's nobody's business. I mean, listening to you talk, it just, it, it reminds me to truly like respect the, the being that we are in while we're here, because it is incredibly intricate, everything folds into everything, our life experiences are encoded into our brains, and every interaction we have, has an impact on our well-being or our lack of well-being. And then the way you describe trauma is you you gave the little daily stressors some weight. They, they do occur and they do hold value and they do hold weight. Obviously, the ones near you know, the nine and the 10 on the trauma scale, much heavier weight, um, I'm sure much longer lasting impact and probably require a lot more work um, to get your brain and your thoughts to a healthier place. But I do appreciate that you recognize and allow the little stressors to still have a place because um, stress is something that I, this is something you share on your social media can be a good thing. You know, it's a good signal, but stress all the time and heavy stressors, not so good for our mental health. And that leads me to, I mean, one of your books called cleaning up your mental mess, which I think is such a fire title, by the way. Um, I love the image as well. You're like cleaning up your brain. Oh, yes, there you go. Um, it's it's such an inviting title, because I think sometimes neuroscience and neuropsychology and cognition and research studies, they can be really hard for the average person or even me who has a tiny little background to really kind of dive in, uh, feel and hear and see the relatability and put it into practice. But with your work and your books and your app, you're really making it digestible for everyone to not only get excited about their brain health, their mental health, but to also give us the tools and the resources. So I'd love to start with cleaning up your mental mess um, because I, I just, I'm obsessed with the title. And also we have so many conversations on this podcast about mental health and ways we can level up our mental health so that way we can level up our life. Anyone else feeling like their IQ just went up a couple of points from this chat with Dr. Leaf? Yeah, same here. I'm just going to interrupt this super intellectual, healthiest hot podcast for Chloe's Clarence pick of the week. Oh, we did a little remix there. Today, I'm going to tell you about my new favorite toning lotion. I know, right? Toning lotion. Usually when I think toner, I think of something that leaves me, my skin feeling like kind of dry and tight. Well, not today, friends. Toning Lotions by Clarins is such a great way to wrap up your cleansing routine before you start putting on your serums and your cream. And the reason why toning lotions are so important is they actually to help balance the skin's microbiota um, and leaving our skin looking healthy. So they have quite a few, but the one I'm really vibing with right now that I've been using every night is their Soothing Toning Lotion. And this actually has 
chamomile and saffron flower extracts and this is for very dry or sensitive skin i just got back from vegas and my skin is feeling really really dry quite irritated from lack of sleep lack of hydration so right now i'm kind of giving my skin everything it could possibly want to leave it feeling comfortable fresh and perfectly cleansed and the soothing toning lotion is just checking everything off the list because of those beautiful natural soothing plant extracts so friends soothing toning lotions add them to your gift basket for yourself because you deserve it all right i don't know where i'm going with this so let's get back to the podcast Oh, absolutely. No, I love, thank you for liking it. I love the title too, because it's the, I love it so much. I call, That's the name of my podcast too, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. So um, I think it's really important, Chloe, that, we, that people recognize that um, it's okay to be a mess. And when I say that instinctively, you, you'll agree, but, and you know more maybe than the average person because you've got your background. But if you look at what we've been told for the last 40 years, the immersion messages that we've had, or immersive messages we've had for the last 40 years, they've been one of, if, if you have an emotion, it's either bad or good. And if it's bad, you've got a mental illness. Now, I know that's a very simple summary, but that's essentially what the philosophy behind the biomedical model of mental health is. So emotions, are, check out your emotions. If they're bad, you have you need to get a diagnosis and that puts you, then you have something and then having of something is some damage in your brain. Now, unfortunately, this is not science. It's not even accurate science. There's been science done on it, but it's science that's been heavily misinterpreted interpreted, and it's been in my opinion, quite abused because it be, and we just have to track the parallel science that's going on all the time. And we see that if you tell someone that an emotion is bad and that they need to suppress it and you stick that all under a label of an illness, like you can, you can do that really well with heart disease and, you know, if there's diabetes or if there's cancer, I mean, that's really a tumor in the brain, traumatic brain. There's an actual, there's physical chain, a physical cause there. We can identify the biological correlates and we can test and we can treat, etc. But when it comes to the mind, it's not like that. Because if someone is battling with anxiety or toxic stress, as we said, stress is good for us. But if it's not managed, it shifts from being good for us, where we alert and focused, to tipping over into becoming toxic stress. And then it works against us. So the body in seconds can shift from healthy to unhealthy and there's an impact if we don't know how to manage our mind. So essentially, when we have a model that's telling us that, hey, you have an emotion, it's bad, you become suspect of your feelings. And then you think, okay, there's something wrong with me. You get a label, you get a diagnosis, and it seems like, oh, that explains it. So initially, it's a great feeling because now there's a reason for your feeling totally out of it, depressed, anxious, frustrated, not being able to just function on all those different signal levels that I mentioned. But then you open the gift and there's nothing there. Now what? Mm. And now you've no one wants to employ you because you've got a mental health problem. Everyone's looking at you weird because you've got a mental health problem. And it follows you. So instead of destigmatizing, we've increased stigmatization. And you know, just to then medicate it away, it, first of all, the medication is not fixing anything. It's not putting anything back in your brain because there was nothing missing in the first place. The cause was not in the brain. The result was in the brain. The impact was in the brain. The cause is in environment what happened to you 
the cause is in your story. So if we make the cause about you having a defective brain, you really feel bad. Now you feel worse because mm. now you've got a defective brain on top of feeling awful. So your identity gets shattered and there's all these terrible things that start going wrong. And there's all this expectation and fearful expectation, et cetera. So you've got to, you've got to put that aside and you've got to look at it in the new way, which it's not even new either. This is 150 years of research has confirmed this. Thousands of years of spiritual and philosophical research have been saying for years, the mind and the brain are interactive but separate. And what we do with our mind impacts, it goes through the brain and the body and therefore impacts the brain and the body. So we do need medicine to deal with the impact of life, but we can't look at, at the physical brain and body as being the cause of, men, of mental health. Now, there are cases where sickness in the body can cause mental health issues like a traumatic brain injury, like a tumor like dopamine issues as in Parkinson's, like cancer, medications for cancer, whatever, severe illness. So there is an illness and there's a side effect which affects our emotions because the feedback loop goes both ways. But when we talk about the general challenges of life on the one to 10 scale, we are talking about life's stories. And we're talking about adverse circumstances, creating adverse products because the adverse circumstance is the adverse experience which the mind processes into the brain like this and changes the body because we don't just store the the, the, the experience in memories inside thoughts in the brain but we also the brain immediately then sends a signal to every cell of the body and we make a duplicate memory in every cell of our body that's why we have body memory and we have 37 to 100 trillion cells so we have 37 to 100 trillion versions of this so the complex holistic thing is here that we have versions of it in our body. And then it's also in our mind because our mind is also physical because even though you may not see energy, you can't see gravity, not, but we know gravity exists because you, neither you nor I are floating. So I can't see gravity, but I know it exists because you're sitting still and so am I. So same thing with mind. I can't see mind, but I know mind exists because you're talking to me and I'm responding to you. If I was dead, we couldn't do that. So if you look at mind like gravity, and we use gravity to explain mind, then we can see it kind of all coming together. Mm -hmm. So mind and brain together are going to then, you know, that's how we're functioning in life. So if it's toxic, it does impact the brain and the body, but it doesn't mean that the cause is in the brain and the body. So you may get all kinds of illnesses because the longer we don't deal with our stuff, the longer we, those little things, two, one, two, three, four, undealt with become habits. So we become toxic habits. So we get irritated once, irritated twice. 63 days later, we irritated about everything. Now that has now shifted to five. So it's having more impact on your body than a one and a two. And if you don't manage that, it could keep shifting. Then your vulnerability hangs around a five, six level. Now if some big trauma hits you, and according to research statistics, every three to five years, we're going to have something hit us, something big, as in some like COVID, whatever. Loss of a loved one, sickness, accident, car accidents, whatever. Life happens. Big stuff happens. And according to statistics, every three to five years, we're going to have a major thing. And some people live in the 8, 9, 10 zone the entire life, living in a war zone, living in parts of Africa, parts of the Ukraine, Russian war, two months now. That's getting quite chronic in terms of long-term exposure, et cetera. So um, essentially, the, we, the little stuff will accumulate and weaken us of vulnerability. So when the big stuff hits, we don't have as much, you know, our resilience has been dampened. As humans, we're actually all resilient. We, we see from the research, two-thirds of people will bounce back. The other third, they don't bounce back as quickly. They may crawl back, but they'll get back. Humans are resilient. But the current messaging is that, hey, you've got a bad, you've got a bad emotion. 
be suspect of it. There's something wrong with your brain. And that is deep dampening resilience because we're thinking, oh my gosh, I had trauma as a child. I'm having trauma now. That's it. I'm stuffed for the rest of my life. And that in itself creates a toxic pattern of low expectancy and re even more reduced resilience. So this is completely separate from the experience. It's now the thing of, oh, I'm brain damaged. I'm mad. I'm crazy, whatever it is. And so that doesn't help. So we've got to get rid of that. We've got to shift our thinking and clean up our mental mess by giving ourselves permission to be messy. It's okay to be a mess. How you show up in the, in the moment with depression or anxiety or frustration or guilt or irritation, what you're saying and doing, maybe withdrawing, maybe angry, maybe irritated, um, perspective life sucks bodily, maybe you've got gut issues. That combination of those four signals are not who you are. They're how you are showing up in the moment because of. So if you tell yourself with grace and kindness, hey, it's okay. Stand back, observe yourself. It's okay. I, you, you're amazing. This is not who you are. This is how you become because of. Let's find the because of. Let's deconstruct and reconstruct through embracing, processing, and reconceptualizing. And let's change what this looks like inside of us. I cannot change that the Ukrainian-Russian wars happened to people and the trauma that it's had. And that will always be in their life. And they'll talk about it for generations to come. But... You can, over time, they will, they will, with support and help, they will learn how to manage the terrible trauma and not live like this, but live like this, where they can create some level of survival. We all, as I mentioned right in the beginning, live on the edge. Sometimes the edge is a bit sharper than other times. But if we learn to accept our stories, be comfortable with the uncomfortable, see emotions as incredible messengers that we can absorb, no emotions are bad, and see emotions as having three other buddies behaviors, bodily sensations, and and um, perspective, and seeing those four as being attached by an invisible thread to a cause, a because of, which is the thought with its interpretation and processing and origin story, then there's hope. There's hope that, oh, I'm not crazy. I don't have a brain disease. Yes, this is impacting my brain and my body. Yes, I can feel it in my gut. Yes, I can see that I'm getting sick more often or whatever the case may be. I can handle that. I can get the medication, medical support, but I need to get to the root cause. And this is what my work has done over the years is having this attitude and finding how do I get, how do I get to that position where I can look at stuff in my life and find the because of and make it manageable live on the edge in a rounder edge not the sharp edge <laughs> sharp edges are not fun i mean this all sounds amazing but it doesn't sound easy it sounds like doing this work is work but the impact can be far-reaching absolutely chloe and you know some of the work part of it is you have to do this consistently you have to train yourself to self-regulate which we do anyway but we don't self-regulate very deliberately when we deliberately self-regulate we'll start noticing those signals and we'll start noticing the impact of those signals on ourselves and on others and we'll start seeing the patterns through the intrusive thoughts which are actually our best friend signals and intrusive thoughts are our best friend because when we listen to them we're getting wisdom from our in our inner core which i call the unconscious mind which is contains huge wisdom and to when you tap into your inner wisdom you can then constructively start changing things so it is hard work and we do live in a quick fix society we do live in a i feel sick i feel bad give me a pill yeah you know, I don't want pain i don't want to be comfortable the uncomfortable we have to get back to the point where you've got to ride through the comfortable uncomfortable and and see what's inside of us because you'll grow and you'll repair and grow from that point but we're creating a society we have that has suppressed, pushed down for years, or they've done the opposite. There's a 
really there's a mixed bag happening at the moment. For years there was suppression. Now we are encouraging people to talk. There's more authenticity. There's you know social media influences all over the place talking. People, uh, uh, celebrities talking about how they feel. So there's openness about mental health problems, which is fantastic. But if you just talk about how you feel. And you don't actually go beyond just the mindful awareness of how you feel and what it's doing in your life, and you don't actually process through, you're going to get worse. Mm-hmm. We can't just talk about feelings. We can't suppress. We have to find a middle road, which is acknowledge and work through. Oh my gosh. And for someone who's listening to this, who wants to start taking baby steps towards cleaning up their mental mess, of course, go check out the book. But if there's something like, what's something we can do right now, if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, I recognize that I have these thoughts that are recurring. I've stepped back and I've become aware of them. Like you suggested, what does someone do next to try to continue to clean up their mental mess? Excellent question. So um, you, Let's start with two things. I'll give you two very practical things. Um, the first thing is you talk about standing back. That's vital. When we stand back and observe ourselves, you actually switch on a, a part of your, you activate a very um, strong, powerful firing in the two, two parts of your frontal lobe, the two left and right side. And you increase gamma activity and you get the alpha activity, all these different frequencies of the brain work in a very constructive way, like the waves of the sea, and you get a lot of coherence at the front of your brain. When that happens, there's increased blood flow, oxygen, glucose metabolism. So your functionality is um, is, is increased and boosted, which boosts decision-making, creativity. That then activates the hormone system, the immune system. So you get a body-wide, um, very healthy positive reaction um, when you start when you start just standing back and observing your own thinking. Now that very healthy body-wise reaction may look like tears and more depression, which sounds contradictory, but it's not because when I'm aware, I'm actually pulling things up from the, the non-conscious. When, when I'm not aware of something, it's driving me. But as soon as I'm prepared to look at the impact of the driver, which is those signals, it will start immediately because these are attached to them. As you look at them immediately, they, they pull. Imagine invisible threads pulling this up. And when this this thought made of memories, which is physically made of proteins, is really conscious of it in the brain, it starts changing, it becomes destabilized. And anything that's destabilized, think of it, you can have anything that you start pulling apart, you can push over, you start loosening the, the weeds, the, the soil around the weed, you can now pull it out. Um, but if it's stuck fast, it's really difficult to pull it out. You've got to create a loosening. So the, so the standing back and observing yourself creates a loosening of the weed so that this thing can start shifting up and become destabilized. Now, in that state, I can apply neuroplasticity. I can use mind act- actions. All this stuff I'm talking about is mind. Everything, you know, standing back, observing yourself, that's your mind work. That's your mind doing stuff. That then we can use our mind to now direct the neuroplasticity, which is now going to change these. I'm going to loosen these. I'm going to make find out where they come from. I'm going to get the weed out of the garden. I'm going to upend it and make it really weak. And that happens over time. And I'm going to make this thing shrink. It's never going to go away because your story never goes away. And I'm going to reconstruct, take the energy from this and build something that is healthy. It takes at day 21. Small one here, fill in the ground. There we go. At day 21, it looks like this. It's small. This is still stronger. So I can easily revert back. And that's what happens so much. 
be work, work, work. And then we think, oh, I got it. And then, oh, I'm back where I was again in total frustration, feeling stuck, going on the mountain, whatever analogy you want to use. That's because this is too small. We have to stabilize this. So this is what I've researched as well. How long does it take to deconstruct and get to this point? Around about 21 days. But to make this thing grow big enough that it has more energy than this, and this thing loses its sting and it's really weak and transitions over into just being a literally a very weak cluster of memories takes another 20, 42 days, another two cycles of 21. So it's about 63 days. And then this will grow into this around day 42. By day 63, we're looking at this. Now look how small the toxic one is and look how big this is. What that means is I now have this, these things on neural networks, new neural networks that are now saying, yes, that happened, but this is where I want to go. So let's say there was sexual abuse in childhood. And that's the experience and it was deeply suppressed to the point where you total flight trauma reaction and you just push it out of your mind. But these are volcanic in nature, thoughts are volcanic in nature. Vol volcanoes are dormant, eventually they erupt. Mm -hmm. They go down, they erupt. Eventually they are extinct when they've been eliminated. So, But you can still see the shell of the volcano. And when the lava cools down, Initially, it destroyed all the vegetation, but the lava remineralizes the soil. So the new vegetation that grows back is even better than before. So this is what we're doing. We're taking these things are volcanic. If I don't deal with them, they will explode. If I push it back down, they get stronger, bigger volcano, they explode. Eventually, I've got to say, okay, let this thing explode. Let me go through the pain. That's hard work. It takes time. It gets worse before it gets better. Day, day four, you feel confused. Day seven, you feel great. Day 14, you feel overwhelmed and emotional. Day 21, you feel, hey, I've got this, but I'm even more depressed than before because now I'm seeing what, what actually happened there. I'm mm -hmm. grieving the loss of time. I'm grieving the loss of whatever. And then you, but you feel like you can move forward because you've got your identity back. You understand why. And you can't understand why people do what they're doing, but at least you know where it came from. So yeah. you don't spend time trying to find out why did someone abuse you. Then you're going to move forward from there and say, okay, how do I want this to look? And then you, this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to grow. So then I move into the future growing. I want to get back into a relationship, et cetera. So there's a case study in this book that kind of summarizes this. Um, this is from my, in, in the first half, I put a summary of my most recent clinical trial. Um, and there I had, one of the subjects there was in the control group. In the, in the, I've got two cases in here, one from the control group, one from the experimental group. Okay, let me say this really fast. The, the one in the, in the experimental group, the first one, they identified on day one of the clinical trial as I am depression. No, you can't be depression because depression yeah. it's in the ocean. But that was their identity. I can't sleep. I can't work. I'm suicidal, etc. They were tested brain, blood narrative, everything. Most important thing we looked at was, and my team did this because it was double blind, so they didn't meet me, so I couldn't influence and bias the study. Um, if you had a team on the ground, so they did all this testing and so on. The narrative is the most important thing we looked at. You know, how do you see yourself? What's your story? What are your signals? What's showing up in your life? And from that, we could then, we then loaded the neurocycle, which is a system I developed over all these years, which helps you to find these signals, pull these up, deconstruct them, find the root, rebuild, grow the little tree, grow the big tree. So it's a five-step system that's very scientific that you can put all kinds of techniques in just at the right places. They, that, that's in an app form called Neurocycle. You mentioned that. Um, Neurocycle available on iTunes and Google Play. And, and but that, that's been tested. We put that into 
so that it was loaded in the, in the in the phone, and they went off and did that for twenty one days, and then after twenty one days came back into clinic and we asked all the same my team did all the same questions brain testing blood etc DNA narrative at this stage that person was saying hey I'm not depression I am depressed because of this oh. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And then they said, I'm even more depressed and more anxious. Said, okay, they've got worse. No, they haven't. That's great. But they, that, that's excellent. They said, but it's different. I'm depressed and anxious because I'm grieving what happened. They had excessive trauma in childhood, long periods of it and into early, early adolescence. And it had been so bad that they had managed to block. And so a little bit of it would come up in dreams wow. and things like that and trigger, but they couldn't handle it. But this was being revealed. So the depression that increased was grieving over what had happened. Dr. Caroline Leaf, you are truly offering hope to people. And what I love is that you are making it accessible, whether it's on TikTok or on Instagram, in your book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, or in your app, NeuroCycle, um, which like she mentioned, is available everywhere. Friends, treat yourself, treat your health, treat your mental health. Go check out her resources. Um, I've checked out the app. It's truly, truly groundbreaking. I can't thank you enough for all the work you do and for sharing some of your knowledge with us here today. That's a pleasure. Thank you so much for letting me talk so much about what I love. <laughs> well, 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 who else is feeling fired up and inspired after that chat? Yeah, same here. I can't believe I'm saying this, but just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast in the books. Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wild. And look, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss out. Rate and leave us a cute little comment. Follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. We'll see you next week. Brought to you by Clarence.